electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome everybody to an important show tonight. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. The virus outbreak rattling nerves and shaking the global economy and markets. That is a live look outside our window here at the NASDAQ, right in the heart of Manhattan. And normally at this time, Times Square would be packed with tourists, theater goers, commuters. But right now, it is eerily quiet and likely to remain that way for some time. The president saying the virus could stick around until late summer, the impact of the outbreak being felt from Main Street to Wall Street. And today, investors felt the full force of the selling. The Dow ending the day down roughly 13%, an incredible 3,000-point drop, by far the biggest point drop ever. The once impenetrable technology stocks falling hard. Apple down 12%. Microsoft lost 14% today. Every S&P 500 sector finished deep in the red, And perhaps the most incredible move of all, Boeing, down 23% to $129. Boeing was a nearly $400 stock just a few months ago. The sell-off comes despite unprecedented action for the Federal Reserve, which did little to ease people's concerns. Of course, we've got full team coverage for you tonight of this record-breaking sell-off. And let's kick things off with Bob Pisani, who, again, is on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, at least, Bob, for now. I am on the floor, indeed, Brian. And we saw our third trading halt in just six sessions right at the open, a 15-minute halt with the S&P down 7%. Now, like the two other halts, it did produce a brief rally shortly after the market reopened. But like the other halts, it did not stop the market from drifting lower in the middle of the day. Stocks moved back to lows for the day toward the close, as President Trump said, coronavirus may be an issue through July or August. Now, that realization that this may last longer than some anticipated again led to heavy declines in travel and entertainment entertainment stocks like Avis, Las Vegas Sands, Live Nation, airlines like United, all of which were down 10 to 20 percent. Since Thursday, the market has begun to bifurcate. We've noted this several times and did so again today. So we saw cyclical names in the Dow. Brian mentioned Boeing, Chevron, United Technologies, all underperformed consumer-oriented names like Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson down, but down far less. Indeed, a small group of consumer names like Rite Aid, which said they were working with the White House task force to offer testing in uh, parking lots for the coronavirus, as well as Kroger, Clorox, Campbell's Soup, all consumer names. They all traded up today. REITs were down across the board big. Office REITs like Boston Property, malls like Maserich, Apartments like equity residential, even storage REITs like public storage got hit hard on concerns that a slowing economy would impact real estate activity despite the lower rates. So right now, Brian, the S&P is 29.5% off its historic high. That is precisely the typical bear market decline of 30%. Technicals don't mean much here, Brian, but one level, all the traders still watching 23.51. That was the December 24th, 2018 low. Brian, back to you. What's the buzz down there on the floor of the exchange, Bob? Obviously, there is a debate. I'm hearing it from people like, don't talk about closing the market. You're going to scare people even more. It's irresponsible. Stacey Cunningham had to come out and address it because, like it or not, agree with it or not, the conversation has been out there, has it not? 
Yes, and they're not going to close the market. So it's just not going to happen. I mean, the big guns have been dragged out in the last three days. Secretary Mnuchin on Friday specifically asked, no, we don't want to. Tracy Cunningham said to me in an interview, she said today, no. We had Terry Duffy from the CME on. We, we had some people from NASDAQ speaking about this as well. All of them agree none of this would serve any purpose. What would it do? It may continue to erode investor confidence overall. So. Stacy's right. You want access to your money, uh, and we'll get through this. But closing the markets will produce a lot more problems. Also, there's a simple practical problem of how do you exactly do this when the global markets exist? There are other ways to play U.S. stocks using foreign European ETFs, for example. It would effectively not really stop speculating in U.S. market activity. So basically the markets, even if they thought about it, the markets with 11 different exchanges in the United States alone are too dispersed. They're too interconnected. They're too computerized. There's no way to shut it down. It's, it's not that there's no way. If you could have an agreement to do that, it would be fine. But what would be the practical effect? It would probably further erode consumer confidence. It wouldn't allow people to have access to their money. And globally, there would be other ways to play the U.S. market to effectively short it using foreign derivatives, for example, and even ETFs that exist. So it's, it's not a practical way to do things. And ideologically, it's not a good idea either. I happen to agree with Secretary Mnuchin as well as Stacey Cunningham on this. Fair enough. Listen, as long as everybody can actually work and do their job, because they're all at home now. We'll see. Bob Pisani fighting the good fight yeah. down there at the NYSC. Okay. Bob, we're glad you're there for us. You've seen it all. Thank you very much. All right, let's turn now to D.C. because the president's saying today that we may have to live with this virus outbreak through the summer. The market sold off another 1,000 points on those comments. Eamon Javers is live for us in D.C. with the late-breaking details on that side of the story. Eamon. Yeah, Brian, the president this afternoon giving us a much stricter set of guidelines from the federal government suggesting that no gathering should happen of more than 10 people anywhere in the country. All students across the country should stay home from school. All Americans should stay out of bars, restaurants, and even food courts, Brian. This according to the president of the United States this afternoon. Much different guidance than what we got just yesterday. The CDC said no gatherings more than 50 today down to just 10 people in that in that overall ranking. And Brian, I'm going to uh, toss it back to you here because we just lost audio here from our temporary connection. I'm going to uh, head back to you because I won't be able to play the soundbite here. Back over to you. All right, Eamon Javers in D.C. If we get that back up, Eamon, we will certainly bring in back everybody. Eamon Javers, that's kind of like what we're all dealing with right now, folks, just like you are dealing with as well with Wall Street. Everybody's trying to sort of makeshift these things happen and we'll see what happens. All right, let's now bring in Guy Adami. Guy also made the trip into New York City tonight for you, and we are at a socially acceptable distance away from each other, Guy. All right, Guy, you are a, what, a 30-plus-year pro. Had you ever imagined that we would see a few trading days like the ones that we have? I'd be lying if I said the answer uh, was yes, unfortunately. No. The short answer is no. And, look, the Dow Jones is going to do what it's going to do. Um, I get it. And tomorrow, for whatever reason, we could be up the amount of points we lost today, and that's fine. But as I've said now for a while, and I think you know my feelings on this, my real concern, and I think a lot of people come into the realization that the moves in the bond market do not make sense. I mean, there's no way the U.S. 10-year note should move half a percent in a day, let alone 28 percent in one day, 50 percent in one day. I mean, the moves we're seeing are not normal. But that's not true just over the last couple of weeks, Brian. That's been true virtually since September and earlier than that. So, you know, the real concern, and I think people are starting to see that, 
is in the bond market. So if we can get a handle on the treasury market and you know, maybe that's what's being attempted now, then maybe things can slowly sort themselves out. Um, so I understand why we would be focused on the 2000 point moves because they're obviously headline makers, but the real uh, under, the, under the radar thing that's becoming on the radar thing is the treasury market. Yeah, were you pleased at all? Let's try to find a little bit of a silver lining here, Guy. The 10-year yield is kind of held up. I, I don't know how to answer that. And I understand the question. I, I will be pleased when you start seeing instead of 5, 10, 15, 20% days, when you start seeing it move less than 1%. So we can get some stabilization at whatever that yield is. And then maybe there's some semblance of normalcy that's coming back. But to say that I was pleased with the fact that 10-year went from wherever it closed on Friday, I think either side of 1%, to where it closed today, I think, you know, 72 basis points or thereabouts, you know, that doesn't, it, it doesn't give me, it doesn't give me a lot of, it doesn't assuage my concerns, let's put it that way. What would? As I said, days, a few days, a few weeks, where instead of seeing these wild volatility swings, in treasuries, we see some stabilization. Now, as I said, the stock market's going to do what it's going to do. I'm not going to, we've thrown out levels now for weeks. I think it's somewhat of a fool's errand to try to do that now. Although, as a lot of people have mentioned, that December low is obviously right in the crosshairs for those that are interested. But what would give me some hope, and hope is the right word, is a stabilization and less volatility in bond yields here in the United States. You know, we look at the bond market and all these instruments now, Guy, that are out there, all these ETFs, the JNK, the HYG, there's, there's really hundreds of them that are designed to be liquid, but we know the bond market is not that liquid, especially now. You talk to bond traders, I'm sure you do during the day, I do during the day. They're, they're not able to necessarily find prices everybody agrees on. Let's just keep it that way. Do you think the bond market is, is still going to be having some, some problems over the next couple of days? Yeah, I do think there's going to, that's okay, though. There's, it's going to be rough sledding over the next few days, without question. It would be foolish for me to, to say otherwise, but it, it will find its footing if the, if the powers that be allow it to. In other words, you know, I understand now you know, drastic times call for drastic measures. I get it. But there's going to come a point where you have to allow the market to find its footing on its own. That might be painful, but I think a lot of people are learning that might be absolutely necessary. Yeah, and I think that that's what we are finding out right now is that the markets still have yet to find a floor. Do you have any indication, Guy, of what that floor may be? I know our friend Scott Minard came out earlier today. I believe he's on the 7 o'clock special tonight as well, saying... He could see the S&P going down to 1,700. That is lower than pre-financial crisis highs. Yeah. Well, if, if you want to sort of map it out, and I'm somewhat reticent to do it, but I will. If you recall, obviously, everybody knows that March 2009 low uh, was 667 in the S&P 500. Obviously, the recent high was right below 3,400. I think it was 3,393. So if you're looking to play in terms of levels, a 50%, 5-0% retracement of that entire move gets you around 2030. So I, you know, if you're asking me, you know, that is a level that we could see. And quite frankly, given the volatility we're seeing, that's absolutely in the crosshairs. 
I'd have to look and see what 1700 represents to get us there. But I think, you know, if, you, if you're really looking for then an absolute level, that 50% retracement of effectively the last, you know, 11 and a half years or so or tw makes sense. Is there any, you know, we've talked about these things that, that I like to watch, the BKLN, which is the bank loan ETF. Some of those bond ETFs that I referenced, those are the things that I'm watching a little more closely than just the equity market because equities are kind of coming down altogether with the exception of a couple of grocery stores and Clorox and Campbell's Soup. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, Guy, aside from the 10-year yield that you're going to advise our audience that they need to be watching closely every single day? Yeah, and, and the things we've talked about, I, I think the HYG is, is a fascinating indicator. I mean, I think that's something that if you want to put something to high yield, put that on your screen. You know, people will have... People will um, say things about the TLT. Maybe the TLT is broken, but I think in terms of a barometer for what's going on in interest rates, you should have that up on your screen as well. And the last one for what it's worth, and this is something I know Dan Nathan has talked about, Tim Seymour, we've talked about it literally since last summer, but you know, the Russell as measured by the IWM, and we said it, you know, it never verified. It never backed up that move in the S&P 500. So underneath the move in the broader market, the Russell was trying to tell you something as well. And obviously that's breaking down. And, you know, again, it's not the time for kudos. I get it. But, you know, Carter Worth, to his credit, was pointing this out as well. You know, the problem is when the market goes up every single day, when you try to point out the potential pitfalls, you know, it's, it, it, I'm not saying it falls on deaf ears, but people just see what's going on in the broader market. Sometimes you got to look under the hood, and I think that's what people are sort of learning right now. Yeah, they are. And, and I want to bring up Boeing, if I can, Guy, because I know you're not a single stock analyst, but as I pointed out at the top of the show, Boeing was a $400 stock yeah. last summer. It closed today at 129 and change. They have huge defined pension benefit guarantees to their employees who deserve and will get those pension plans. We've talked about the negative book value of nine plus billion dollars on this name. At some point, are, will there, and I'm not saying Boeing is it, will there be generational buying opportunities in some of these stocks? 100%. No question about it. And, you know, obviously, you know, something that we mentioned, you know, I remember a few months ago, I think, when you came in for Melissa, we had talked about things, you know, one of the things we said, there were at least 20 different indicators that were flashing red, but the broader market, for whatever reason, was looking past it. But one of those indicators was the Buffett indicator. I think, you know, the, the Wilshire over the, over the S&P, the, the, I think it was trading like 150-something percent. And the fact that Warren Buffett had, I, th I want to say, about $128 billion or so, of cash. So, you know, the, the question that we pose is, you know, if Mr. Buffett is sitting around with cash, what does he see? So to answer your question, and I know a lot of people have said this, I'm not splitting the atom here, I'm not trying to, but if you see him start to dip his toes or his group start to dip their collective toes into names, maybe then all of a sudden he's giving you the all, the all clear sign. But, you know, the equity market, again, without going down this rabbit hole, when you look at a VIX where it is, you know, so many people became complacent in the derivatives market with this belief that the market will never go down again if the Fed has our back. And yeah. that complacency does not unwind, and we've said this, it doesn't unwind in the matter of days or weeks. It takes time. You're talking about six, seven, eight years worth, 
and I'll use the word because I think it's important, of hubris on the counts of a lot of these yeah. derivatives traders, and it doesn't it doesn't get washed out overnight. No, and, and that's what I think a lot of the casual market observers don't fully get, Guy. You and I have been doing this 25, 30-plus years each. It used to be you shorted a stock. Now you short the stock, you short the ETFs that have the stock, and you buy a triple inverse, whatever it is, against that, all, by the way, at three, four, five, six times leverage. That's the unwinding that we are seeing right now. And that moves, you know, the, the, the moves are... Um, exponentially greater on the downside than they are on the upside and you know and I don't want to go down this inside baseball wonky stuff but what I'll tell you with volatility at these levels as as likely as you are to see a day like today you're as likely to see a day to the upside for people that are chasing and again you know the yeah. lower it goes the more these participants have to sell and conversely the higher it goes the more they have to buy so don't think if we're up 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 Dow points on any given day that somehow this is magically over because I don't think it is. Again, my tell is, is stabilization, stabilization in the credit yeah. markets, what, where, whatever levels they are. Well said, and we need your experience at a time like this. Guy Adami downstairs from us here at the NASDAQ. Guy, I'll, I'll give you a wave later. Guy, Thanks, thank Brian. you very much. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Well, of course, we have full continuing coverage of the global sell-off. Be sure to catch our special tonight, now more than ever, 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight. I believe Scott Minard will be appearing on that show. You always want to hear what Scott has to say. All right, we've got breaking news in airlines, particularly Southwest Airlines. Let's bring in Phil Lebeau for that. Phil, what's going on? Uh, the, 8K, the 8K just came out, Brian, from Southwest, and a couple of headlines to hit here as you take a look at shares of Southwest. First of all, the load factor. Remember when I talked with... Uh, Gary Kelly in Washington, D.C., about a week and a half ago, and he said, look, we're seeing a huge drop-off in the number of people who are booking flights, what's happening with people who are actually staying and, and taking these flights. Load factor, 67%, trending towards 57%. As you take a look at what's happened this month, they are instituting a hiring freeze. They are going to be reducing the available seat miles by 20%. They haven't put out their official schedule. That's likely to come within the next week or so. Then we'll see exactly how much capacity they're taking on. So that'll be 20% somewhere around there that uh, in terms of available seat miles that Southwest will be taking out of the system. This comes on a day when Southwest and the other airlines who are all part of Airlines for America have basically said they want help when it comes to the federal government essentially backstopping them. And you heard the president during his press conference saying that he would do that. This is what they're asking for, Brian. $50 billion. That is for the airlines and separately an additional $8 billion for the cargo carriers. Oh, and by the way, the airports association representing all of the airports in the country, they're out saying we want $10 billion because of lost tax revenue, lost fees, et cetera, happening right now as airlines pull back couple of charts to take a look at. Let's start first off with SAVE, Spirit Airways, Spirit Airways, excuse me. 
Look at this. This stock is now trading at below its 2011 IPO price. Then there's Alaska. It was also out today talking about how it's cutting capacity, cutting it by 15%. But the chart of the day, Brian, it is a five-year chart of Boeing. Why am I showing you a five-year chart of Boeing? Yeah, it was an ugly day. They lost a quarter of their value, essentially. Trading down at 129, you know the last time it was there, Brian? Before July 1st of 2015, when Dennis Mullenberg became CEO, you're looking at Jim McNerney prices right now on shares of Boeing. Brian, back to you. Yeah, an, an incredible chart, a difficult chart, especially with a huge defined pension plan, Philibo. Thank you very much. All right, let us now move from the airlines to Apple, because Apple, once a rock, falling hard in today's sell-off as well. The company taking unprecedented measures and closing all of its stores outside of greater China as the coronavirus spreads. Let's now bring in Josh Lipton with more on Apple's nearly 13% haircut today. Josh. So, Brian, as this outbreak spreads, Apple, you see, taking action. Remember, this company spent a lot of time and money building out this network of retail stores all over the world. So the 510 stores and counting now, 271 here in the United States alone, 52 stores in greater China, which includes China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. Those will be the ones remaining open. Online stores also remaining open. Checked in with Gene Munster at Loop Ventures to get a sense of the financial impact here. He says that these stores account for 8% of total revenue in a given quarter. Now, by his math, if the stores really do remain closed only until March 27th, the decision impacts revenue in the current quarter by about 2%. Of course, a key question for investors, though, what happens if they remain closed beyond that date? And even more broadly, how does an economic slowdown now weigh on consumer spending, specifically iPhone demand in the quarters ahead? Since that stock's recent high on February 12th, Apple has lost $370 billion in market cap. Guys, back to you. Yeah, our team, our great team, everybody's working triple time, by the way. And Robert Hum, our market master, as we call him back at HQ, noted the MAGA stocks have lost over a trillion dollars in value. Four names lost a trillion bucks in just the last couple of days. It's not just Apple, it's Microsoft as well, Josh. But is there this idea that, you know, if you want a phone or need a computer or need an iPad or want that, you're going to get it online or eventually many of those sales will be made up? Yeah, so it's interesting how I think the... Um the kind of the argument has shifted here a bit. Um, and to answer your Brian, Brian, your question there, you know, it was interesting. Foxconn founder Terry Goh, he recently told reporters, it was just a few days ago, of course, Foxconn, largest manufacturer of Apple devices. He was saying that um, his factories in China were coming back online uh, faster than maybe he expected. But he said his concern now was actually demand. And he specifically did call out the U.S. You know, the folks at Credit Suisse would tell you by their math, that replacement cycle, the length of time people keep their iPhones extended in nine months in 2019 to about four years. They use that as evidence that um, an iPhone, they think as a discretionary item, one that perhaps people are willing to postpone buying if they're feeling more uncomfortable about the virus and where this economy is headed, Brian. All right, Josh Lipton on Apple. Josh, thank you very much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. 
Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We've got some breaking news out west in the media and social media world. Let's get now that with Julia Borston. Julia. That's right, Brian. Regal Cinemas announcing that it's going to be closing all of its theaters until further notice. This is a full closure after we'd heard from AMC that they were limiting attendance at their theaters to 50 percent. They say that they'll be updating the status of all the theaters on their mobile app. But their uh, theaters consist of 7,155 screens and 542 theaters in 42 states, along with District of Columbia. So this is a pretty significant closure. The first major closure of any of the three major theater owners. The others are, of course, AMC and Cinemark. And, and then IMAX, back over to you. All right, Julia Borston, Regal Cinemas, closing all 542 theaters. Julia, thank you for that breaking news. All right, well, retail, another one of the biggest victims in today's sell-off, a growing number of stores simply shutting their doors for good, or at least for a long time. A measure of retail stocks, the XRT falling 13%. 17 retail stocks today fell 20% or more. Let's bring in Courtney Reagan with more on this side of the story. Courtney. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a very fluid situation, as almost everything is. I think most of the retailers that we've heard from that are talking about closing stores are starting at least with that two-week time frame. So when we get to the end of the March, this could all change or potentially earlier. So let's give you some of the names of the retailers that have closed. Just in the last hour or so, we've gotten some new names, smaller names, but names you probably know, like Lily Pulitzer, Tommy Bahama, but also big names where you know Apple are closing all their stores, as is Nike, Lululemon, J. Crew, Levi Strauss, PVH's brand, so that's Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, but also Under Armour, VF Corps, and North Face, Timberland. There are just many, many stores, and this list is going to continue to grow. Then, Brian, you've got a whole crop of retailers that are adjusting their hours. They're shortening their hours. A lot of these are grocery stores so that they can restock, so that they can clean their stores. So this includes names like Walmart and its neighborhood markets, but also its Sam's Club, Trader Joe's, Publix. Um, Stop and Shop is doing something very interesting with its adjusted hours. Starting on Thursday, it's allowing seniors that are 60 years old and older only to shop between the hours of 6 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. in order to protect them. Now, of those retailers that are closing stores, the good news for employees is that most of these employees and most of these retailers do uh, plan on paying their employees, at least those that were scheduled or that would typically be working those hours. It's going to vary a little bit from retailer to retailer, but by and large, at least in the beginning, there should be some financial relief. Yeah, and good on them for for opening the stores for the most vulnerable among us. I know it is a difficult time for many elderly Americans, certainly Courtney Reagan. Courtney, thank you very much for joining us by phone. All right, let's talk more now about this group and what ultimately may happen. Maybe there's some very good long-term buying opportunities out there. Karen Feinerman joining us now as well. Karen, I know that it's not just about the equities we've been talking about. It's about debt. I know you've been watching the debt of Macy's and others. What are you seeing? Because the equities have been punched in the face. Yeah, they are, and rightfully so. The equities like a Macy's have been punched in the face. Courtney was just talking about 
the closure, you know, the closure, uh, closing of the stores, and then they still want to pay their employees. So they're just going to be bleeding cash. And then you got to look at the balance sheet. Who can afford to bleed cash? One that we've come back to time and time again is looking at Macy's. And now the dividend is, I don't know, 22% or something. It just seems insane that they would continue to pay that dividend um, and use that cash when they, they're going to need their cash. Not right away, but pretty darn soon. They don't have any maturities coming up so quickly, but really they need to use their cash in a better way. We might have a uh, chart of the debt, which had been hanging in there. I picked the one that's due in 2023, and it was hanging in there until very recently, and then it really got smoked, and it's down to the low 80s. And so if you were to buy it, there's only three years left till it matures. It actually is a 10% annualized return for senior for for senior unsecured debt still i don't know that i would buy it i think there's more room to fall short the hyg there's more room to fall yeah we're watching the debt and and this is the story that we have been talking about certainly karen on this program not just for the last couple of weeks but before that you've got to watch the credit markets because they are going to drive the equity but from an equity perspective today do you think today was the washout, the flush, or is there more downside to come? I think there's more downside to come because there's more credit crises to come. But for the, for the strong retailers, I mean, Target, you know, I, Target was one of my better performers down $7 today. So um, I feel good about Target. Absolutely could trade lower, but I feel like they're where you want to be. Um, you know, they're what the consumer needs right now. And the balance sheet is in good shape. Um, and I think the business model is a lot more secure. One other interesting thing worth noting, there's a couple of deals. One is Simon Property Group just agreed to buy Taubman Companies. Simon is getting obliterated, and Taubman is now getting obliterated, even though it's a pretty airtight deal at 5250. Simon stock is well, well below that because there's such fear in the mall space. And Simon, the premier yeah. name group, is getting just absolutely crushed. By, by the way, by the way, Karen, sorry to jump in, and not the only one. Tiffany's supposed to be yes. bought by LVMH of France. You look at Tiffany, the stock well below the transaction price. So do, do they try to break up these deals, Simon and LVMH? Do they try to renegotiate these deals? I mean, depending on what side of the deal you're on, you are going to have a very strong and very different view. Yes, depending on what side of the deal you're on and who your lawyers are. And each of those are for both LVMH, Tiffany, Simon, and Talman all have sure had excellent lawyers. I looked at the merger agreements of each. They're pretty tight. There is no financing condition for either of them. So that's not an out. Um, they're going to have to try to, to have the, this coronavirus and the shutdown along with it be some sort of uh, force majeure. And there'll be a lot of fights over this. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I can tell you the Riscarve community that owns these are very nervous, very nervous. The spreads are great. If you, if you got a lot of, uh, if you're an intrepid type, you can jump in. The returns could be great. But if the deals break, the stocks are going lower than where they started. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Karen, pretty unbelievable stuff there. Looking at those names and retailers as well. Karen thinks the markets may have more downside to come. All right, well, it is exactly 5.30 p.m. Eastern time here in what is now a very quiet New York City. 
But it was anything but quiet in the financial markets today, with the Dow falling 3,000 points. The day began right in the red and quickly a trading halt, merely seconds after the market opened. The president then later this afternoon suggesting the viral outbreak may stay with us until the summer. Those comments kicking in another level of selling. And when it was all over, the Dow finished the day down 2,999 points, nearly 13 percent. That was the worst single day since the Black Monday crash of 1987. And the Nasdaq posted its worst day ever. Now, the sell-off coming despite unprecedented action from the Federal Reserve, slashing interest rates to zero in a surprise move last night. Let's get to CNBC's senior economics reporter Steve Leishman with more on the Fed's big move. Steve. Brian, uh, good afternoon. Uh, the reviews are in from the Fed's big move last night, and they were not very positive from markets. Uh, the sense was that it was not enough to uh, resolve the problem, and if it was enough, it's certainly going to take more time. I want to go through all of the actions the Federal Reserve has taken because it's been an escalating series of steps by the Fed culminating, well, not culminating, but at least for the moment, the crescendo was last night with the huge moves that it's made. Let's start off on the 13th of March, where they cut rates by 50 basis points. The uh, On the 12th, they announced a total of $1.5 trillion in repo operations. The 15th, they cut rates to zero. That was last night and launched $700 billion of QE. Finally, on this today, they did an additional $500 billion on offer. Now, don't be confused by the $500 billion. All the $500 billion means right there is that they're making infinity amount of repo available to the markets. Let's see some of the reviews we got today. Basically, the investment bankers and the people in the market that I talked to today said some U.S. funding markets, at least towards the afternoon, remained were still not functioning properly. It probably led to the afternoon repo by the Federal Reserve. I heard there was some better trading after that. Uh, finally, there were huge submissions. The Federal Reserve, as part of that $700 billion, came in today, did $40 billion of Treasury purchases. There were many, many huge submissions for those. And like I said, a lot of people saying right now, Brian, the Federal Reserve should be doing more, <clears throat> perhaps a commercial paper facility, along with the Treasury to backstop corporate America. One more thing, Brian, I, we, had, we did our Fed survey over the weekend before the Fed came out. 40 respondents, fund managers, strategists, economists, many of the names who you know, uh, they're saying now a 67% probability uh, of a recession in the next 12 months in the United States. So, Brian, I think there's a big change here. One is that there is now pretty good uh, or an odds-on bet of a recession in the United States with the second quarter hopefully being in the climax of that, maybe some rebound in the latter part of the third or the fourth quarter. And now some questions as to whether or not the Federal Reserve, because of the amount of debt out there, is it in the right place yet to address these issues? But, you know, Stephen, we're going to get to Jim Bianco in a second. There, there's two types of recessions, okay? They're, they're both painful, but there's one that is short Sharp, caused by an exogenous event, pent-up demand, as the president suggests, brings everything back once things get back to normal. And then there's that slow, painful slog, quarter over quarter, year over year. Is there any indication about which one this recession might be if we get it? Maybe if things clear up in third quarter, people go, they rush back out to restaurants, they buy a car they've been wanting to buy, they get back in the housing market. Forgive the moment of levity, Brian, but there's an old Michelle Shocked album called Short, Sharp, Shocked, I believe, was the name of it. So um, I think that's the odds-on bet here. 
I wish I had that full screen, guys. I don't know if you have that quarterly full screen that we were using, which shows the trajectory now looked at for the economy. Basically, it looks for 1.1% growth in the first quarter, minus 1.8%. These are annualized growth rates in the second, about flat in the third, and then the rebound to 2% happens in the fourth quarter. Look, nobody has modeled this before. It's, it's, it, it's very clear that this is all being done on an ad hoc basis. We're trying to model the shutting down of economic activity, which is essential to stop the spread of the virus. There's that, uh, that, 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 that uh, full screen. It's great you guys put that up. And, and then also trying to figure out things like defaults. And, but also, don't forget that there's now talking about $50 billion of aid to the airlines, a large stimulus package coming through. A lot is going to depend on yeah. the stimulus package. I will say Powell last night was very clear. Public health first, fiscal stimulus second, and then in the third place is monetary policy. I think if those first two pieces can be put in place, we've got a chance of avoiding worse outcomes here for the economy. All right, good stuff there. We, all, we need a little levity. I think that album had the orange graffiti on it with the crowd and the police. Steve Leisman, thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, let's now bring in Jim Bianco. He is president and CEO of Bianco Research, as well as Steve Grasso, director of institutional sales at Stuart Frankel. For more, not like these gentlemen need any introductions. Um, Jim, first to you, are you surprised that this unprecedented and really sledgehammer-like action by the Federal Reserve did not do more to quell and calm the equity markets? No, I'm not surprised. And first, I want to push back a little bit on what Steve was talking about with the consensus. The Fed did everything they can. The Fed put does not work anymore. Yeah, you could pretend that there's other tools in the toolbox, but they're not going to work. And the reason the Fed put is not going to work is that there is a mass liquidation going on. Not only are stocks going down, gold is going down, credit's going down, currencies are going down, other commodities are going down. And while bonds are rallying, boy, it has been a very meager rally considering all of the tools that have been thrown at the bond market. Yeah. So everybody's in complete liquidation mode. The Fed put doesn't work. Don't keep asking for them to do more. They'll invent new things, but they'll be equally ineffective like this one has been. Steve, you're down there all day today, buddy. Take us through the day. What was it like? Yeah, so why don't we start from the beginning? You know, we've seen this three halts in the last uh, couple of days, last few days, Brian. And when you're sitting on the floor before the opening bell, that sense of urgency is really starting to build up. Clients hitting you, people talking to you. Do I think the market is bottom? The market can't bottom, uh, to Jim's point, only unless we see a headline about some optimism on a vaccine will you see this market bottom out. And we we we're so far away from that. But let's talk about technical levels. 666 in the S&P, all the way up to here, we get a couple of levels that stand out. 2,000 is where Goldman thinks the bottom is. 1,700 is where you get that 618 retracement. Why is that important? Because where the market bounces is usually between the 50% and the 618. And why is it so important to look at technicals? Because no one has a clue on fundamentals. No one knows where this is going to stop. That's why technicals are extremely important. Yeah, and, uh, and Scott Minard, I think, you know, today, and then we talked to him last week, of course, I believe he's on the special tonight, said that 1,700 on the S&P 500, as painful as that sounds, Steve, was not out of the question because you've kind of got to go back to before the financial crisis to kind of almost 
reset the economy in a way because of all the debt-fueled growth of the last decade. That's true. And the, the problem is, is that no one understands what the ramifications could be here. And then to, when President Trump came out and said, maybe it's till August, everyone said, you know what, let me take my chips off the table. Let me sell my gold. Let me sell anything that I can sell. Not that we think it's going lower, but I can get a bid for it. So when you're selling gold, I, I think what you should really watch in the marketplace are the airlines. If you start to see the airlines get bailed out and those stocks bounce, I think it's a sign that maybe there's a rescue wagon coming around the block. Those have to bottom for the market to bottom, the yeah. ones that are in the bullseye for Corona. Well, American did rally a little bit today. If you want to find some bright spots, you know, Jim, I look at all these things, some of these closed in bond funds that we never talk about that are out there. Some of these high yield ETFs we mentioned earlier on in the show. When you talk to people inside the credit markets right now, it's clearly they're dislocated a bit. How dislocated are they? No, they're more than a bit dislocated. Lots parts of the credit markets are very dysfunctional. They're not trading properly. There's no bids, or maybe there is, but then if you go to lift it, it disappears. This market is still well from being healthy. And that's one of the reasons I think that the Fed uh, numbers aren't working. Again, I've come back to the problem is, as Steve was saying, everything's for sale right now. Doesn't matter what it is, everybody's trying to get out of everything. And the only thing that went up today, again, is what the Fed bought, only because they bought it today. And if they were to stop buying it tomorrow, then bond prices, uh, treasuries would probably fall as well, too. So there is dislocation. There is dysfunctionality in this market. It is very difficult to trade it. And that's not going to change tomorrow morning or Wednesday. We're going to need something significant to change it. Let's say, and, and Brian, I want to be, be optimistic, Steve, because why not? Right. Roche tonight saying that 400,000 sure. test kits are on the way. When the day comes, not if, it will be when, and I know how smart all these scientists are out there working on this thing, hopefully sooner than later, we get a headline of a vaccine <clears throat> that works. What does the Dow go up, so, 5,000? Yeah, I think that, that's the number that, uh, that I've been tossing around with clients. They've been tossing it back to me, and I think that's probably the agreeable amount. And let's look back to 2018, December, when we had that sell-off. That sell-off from the time it sold off to get back to those old highs was 143 days. I think most people think we're going to take years and years to make up the ground, and I simply don't think that's the case. I think it will be a whip, whiplash recovery. But does it bounce from the 1,700 level, or does it bounce from 1,500, or does it bounce from 2,000? So I'm not calling a bottom here, but I am saying that whiplash back to old highs to where we started this is probably going to shock a lot of people when it's sooner rather than later. You agree with that, Jim? Uh, not really. Oh, I do think there's <laughs> going to be a big whiplash back. Don't doubt about it. All the way to the new highs. I think there's a lot of long-term damage that's being done. A lot of psyches are being changed. A lot of attitudes are being changed. And that's going to stick around for a long time. Now, if you want to be optimistic and you want a more immediate headline that can maybe put a bottom in this market, a vaccine's off. But how about hundreds of thousands of tests? How about a feeling we now know where the virus is in the United States? We know who has it. We know who doesn't have it. We can start to define the problem. Right now, all I see is Disneyland packed, Bourbon Street packed, the bars on St. Patrick's Day packed. We are just creating more cases 
not enough people are taking this seriously. I think this bothers the market. As soon as we take it seriously, as soon as we get more tests and we get an idea of the scope of the problem, then we could start seeking a bottom. Right now, it just feels like an open-ended problem that isn't getting better. Yeah, and forget about the markets. We've already established they're remaining open. That's fine. That's good. Okay. Is there a benefit, Jim, maybe to say, let's just basically stop the economy for two weeks? I mean, take it seriously. I saw San Francisco today saying, basically, you can't leave your home unless you need medical attention or need food. That's likely going to happen in other places, probably New York City in a day or two as the way things are going. Certainly, we've got a ban on non-essential travel in New Jersey from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. now. That's indefinite. Would it be better to have a a two-week complete shutdown of the economy with the idea to cleanse it out or or just kind of try to something else? Uh, You know, I I fear that we're headed that way. And I think that that two-week shutdown is not only going to be the economy, but it's going to be the financial markets as well, too. You can't close the economy without closing the financial markets if we're going to go down that road. Uh, I think that's going to be determined by whether or not we're overwhelming the healthcare system. But yeah, that's the fear. Again, this looks open-ended. And that's why I think these markets are having such a hard time with it. If you can give me, or the markets in general, some kind of definition of how big the problem is, then we can find a bottom real fast. But right now, I don't know what it is, and neither does the market. What's your thought on I that, think, Steve? I, I, hey, Brian, I, I think that, uh, that, that Jim brings up a great point. Think about this. Only a handful of days ago, we still had a Major League Baseball event happening. We still had NCAA happening. So I think people are fast-forwarding and getting panicky really quick and understanding that this is real serious. So I think we're closer to that point of the day of reckoning than we were uh, you know, a handful of days ago. I yeah. agree with Jim. You need a little more seriousness taken. You need more stoppage. But I think we're about a month or two out from bottoming. All right, Steve Grasso and Jim Bianco. Guys, we appreciate a tough conversation, but we appreciate your views. Be well. Thank you. All right. Well, the rapid spread of the coronavirus is forcing a growing number of Americans to stay home and work at home. And that is having a major impact on some big media companies as well. Let's get back down to Julia Borston out in L.A. with more on this side of the story. Julia. Brian, that's right. People are likely streaming a lot more Netflix. Nielsen reporting that staying in our homes can lead to a nearly 60 percent increase in the amount of content consumed. But that won't necessarily lead to an increased subscriber count for Netflix, according to Needham's Laura Martin. She warns that Netflix will not benefit from increased viewing hours because it has a flat subscription fee with no ads. Now, Netflix's international growth, she says, is threatened by global slowdown at risk because of rising unemployment. And she notes that Netflix has a junk bond rating and negative free cash flow. But on the flip side, Raymond James, with a strong buy rating on the stock, says they see more signs of downloads and usage and that increased usage could provide an eventual catalyst for price increases. As for concerns about password sharing, Raymond James saying the risk is manageable. And Lightshed's Rich Greenfield points out that Netflix will benefit from the shutdown of both live sports and movie theaters. He predicts that Netflix will end up adding subscribers. But there is another threat to Netflix. Three new rivals, all of which will offer free trials. Quibi is set to launch April 6th. HBO Max launches in May. And then Peacock is scheduled to roll out nationwide on July 15th. Now, Netflix is holding up better than the broader market year to date. It's down about 5%, while the S&P 500 is down well over 20%. 
Now we'll have to see if any of those new streaming services delay their launches or if they continue with their launch plans with the idea that they're going to be able to reach a lot more people who are home effectively captive audiences for these new streaming services. Guys, back over to you. They are, Julia, and we'll use you as an example because I can tell you're not in the L.A. studio and we're all trying to do this now from home and it's like, get off the Wi-Fi to the kids. I need to do a live report for CNBC. I need all the bandwidth I can get. Yes, this is my first day broadcasting from home, Brian. Just trying to figure it out one day at a time. We're all, we're all going to be there, Julia Borston. As usual, you're a leader. Julia, thank you very much. All right, so you just heard Julia reference Needham's Laura Martin. Well, it just so happens with the magic of television or a telephone, we have Laura Martin with us as well. Obviously, Laura, dive a little more into your report. I think the early thesis was, well, it's great for Netflix and Peloton. Everyone's going to do this, this and this because they're all going to be stuck at home. It's not that simple. Right. I think that's exactly right. So I think specifically 60% of Netflix uh, revenue comes from streaming offshore. And as you know, like travel has stopped advertising and entire countries have quarantined themselves, which means people that don't have jobs and aren't getting hourly pay are probably going to eat first and pay their rent before they pay for streaming, even though streaming may $13 two weeks ago might have seemed like not very much money. It seems like more money if you're fearful about your job security in the future or if you're not actually making money right now. So we are very worried about the 60% of revenue um, offshore for Netflix. And se- secondly, we do think there'll be more streaming hours. But again, Netflix gets a fixed fee per person, and therefore, with 61 million subscribers here out of 80 million connected homes, that's nearly 80% penetration of connected homes, it's much more likely that um, it's much better to participate in the upside of streaming services that have advertising, where they actually do make more money if you watch more TV. I know this is very early for a lot of people, maybe day one for some people today, or at least a couple days in. Any gauge so far, Laura, on the trends that we are going to see as, as a, the last couple of days given us any clue or indication about how things are going to shake out in the streaming and media world? Yeah, I think it's a little too early to say, um, especially on the economic side. I do think people are uh, kids are home more, so there's more televisions tuned into uh, television and streaming. There's no sports on, which is negative for the TV ecosystem because that's the primary anchor tenant of the big bundle. So all those people are getting displaced. Um, And so, you know, we just have to see how long it lasts. And that's the big question right now. What about Disney? They got Frozen 2, which, you know, you hear a lot of buzz about. Ultimately, are are these going to be winners or is the theme park side of the business just going to drag down any incremental benefit from the additional streaming customers? Right. So in the Walt Disney Company, uh, theme parks is about 50 percent or let's call it in-person attendance-based businesses, are about 50% of their profitability, their EBITDA, and uh, studios about 20%. So for Frozen 2, um, even if they got increased streaming or they got increased um, subscriptions uh, from the U.S., it wouldn't be enough to offset those park closures for any length of time. What's going to happen with the networks that are highly leveraged to the money they spent on sports? I'm thinking Viacom, CBS... March Madness, a month long, had to be a massive moneymaker for the company. It's now gone. All these sporting events, how is that going to play out? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a really good question because we don't have the contracts in front of us, and almost no contracts mention pandemics as a reason not to pay. So experts we've talked to, CFOs at other 
TV companies have said, look, if they don't deliver the game, if the league doesn't deliver the game, you don't have to pay for it, which sort of makes sense is the way, like, like you should only get paid if you deliver the content. So if that's true, then the, the really it's going to, the leagues are going to take this on the chin, the National Hockey League, MLB, NBA. Yeah. Then it's like, then it's just like you have to find programming to put on the air yesterday um, to fill up 24 hours a day, but your viewing goes way down for sure. And I don't know if you make less money. That's not clear to me because these sports rights are so expensive. But for sure, it's a scramble while you have to air content 24 hours a day and suddenly you just lost 10 hours of content you thought you were airing tomorrow and the next day. Uh, listen, the, the Viacom CBS experiment has so far, forget, even before this happened, the stock had been suffering. If we could throw up a one-year chart, it was a $53 stock last July. Today, it closed... But 18 bucks, how low can this stock really go? At some point, there's either a bottom and there's buyers or there's other options. Right. And I think the issue here is the balance sheet, right? The market is making these distinctions in balance sheet and capital access. So right now, as of today's close, um, the total um, equity market cap was like eight or nine billion and the debt was 18 billion. So that's super scary. Even though they don't have maturities that refinance until 2023, they just have to make the interest payment. In an ad-driven company, you worry that their revenue falls enough um, that they can't make the interest payment, and does that create financial distress when two-thirds of your entire enterprise value is debt? That's what's happening to some of these stocks today, is the leverage is very difficult for them. Okay. Laura Martin of Needham, we appreciate you joining us by phone. Laura, thank you very much. We have got some breaking news, some big breaking news on Boeing. Let's get right back to Phil LeBeau with that. Phil. Brian, Boeing uh, is having its credit rating cut by S&P uh, to one, gla- one grade above junk status. The concern here being that you're looking at cash flows that will be under pressure uh, on two fronts, really. First of all, we know about the 737 MAX, which Boeing believes will be ungrounded by the middle of this year, potentially freeing up deliveries to begin maybe in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter. We've known about that for some time. But the other issue that has really come to the forefront over the last month has been what happens to airline customers who have ordered aircraft. And now because of their finances being under pressure as people around the world cancel flights, and generally do less flying, are airline customers going to either defer deliveries, cancel deliveries, um, look for help from Boeing? That's a one-two punch that is hitting Boeing's uh, cash flow potentially over the next six months to nine months, and that's the reason why S&P has cut the credit rating on Boeing to one level above junk status. Wow, I know they got hit by Fitch last week. Now that, uh, Phil bow on Boeing, thank you very much. Uh, joining us now is Tim Seymour. Tim joining us uh, by far. There you are, Tim. It's good to see you again, my friend. Uh, someday nearby. we will meet again in person. Safely nearby. You know, yeah, you know, this Boeing news, okay, obviously troubled for the equity. But again, and I don't want to sort of go too in the woods, in the weeds, but you look at the stock and you see these companies that get their credit rating downgrade. You've got to watch these bond ETFs that can only hold certain percentages of either yeah. investment grade, right? Right? Because if we see more companies get their credit rating cut, it could put more pressure on this little talked about side of the credit markets. 
Well, it, it, this is a credit story. The market's a credit story now, Brian, as much as and, and it's a confidence story and all the other things you've talked about. So let's get to the credit part of it. Um, Boeing is a perfect example. They had north of twenty five dollars a share of free cash flow uh, as little as a year ago. And, and now um, they're probably somewhere time, three times leverage at this point. Um, and, and this is the outlook and this is the downgrade. And this is one of the biggest, uh, most important companies in the world. So um, we, we talk about and we have talked about this at different times in the market over the last couple of years. Uh, debt to GDP, uh, you know, debt to EBITDA levels that are effectively, you know, pretty scary. Certainly for the economy on the GDP level, for many corporates, not so much. Um, but but you can see that the credit story and, and that that huge tranche of triple B minus just above junk um, is something that look in a recession. That's what leads companies uh, obviously to, to credit issues, and that's that's what the market is doing right now to to companies that uh, I don't think that the equity uh, is is really where the focus is. What point does Boeing become a legendary long-term buying opportunity? 400 to 130. Well, I, I would have said that, that uh, you know, before we started assessing the health of the airlines as buyers of the next plane uh, as truly, you know, the, the near-term issue, um, I, I would have said that, that, you know, this is a company that, that has certainly been through cycles before. Obviously, the, the plane, both production cycle and the ordering cycle, and then the order book is, is, are measured in years, not months. Uh, and this is a company that is, is historically uh, well-managed and, and certainly manages that process. So um, I, I'll let the, the airline analysts talk more about that. But I, I do think that Boeing from a, a, a revenue side of, of the income statement is, is something that people have to question differently um, in, in addition to the credit story. Is there any move or any part of this market, Tim, that doesn't, I know a lot of it doesn't make sense because we don't know, but when you look at certain stocks, do you say, and I heard Jim and Jim's going to pick up the coverage here in a few minutes. He said it on CNBC today, not all stocks are the same. It's not, Things are going to come back. Is there any part of this move that you look at and go, that just doesn't make any sense at all? Well, look, a, a lot of it uh, doesn't make sense, but the market probably uh, wasn't paying attention to what made sense on the way up. So, I mean, a company like Home Depot, let's get right to it, um, down 33 percent in, in, you know, in a blink of an eye uh, at a time when rates are low, where people are, are still, um, you know, they may have job pressure tomorrow, uh, but they still have a revolving credit line. And I do think that with rates where they are, um, this is a place where I, I think they're, they're going to continue to see uh, very strong sales. I mean, you know, a Citibank, which is down 52 percent in 45 days or something like that, is, is again, a company that is a money center bank uh, who, who arguably their debt interest income exposure um, is you know not extraordinary. But it is something where I think people are starting to question the credit story. Um, I, I think, you know, there are companies like like, like you know, Amazon's out there saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to add 100 warehouse workers and delivery folks, 100,000 um, to, to, to their arsenal at a time where they're being opportunistic in a very difficult time. By the way, that's great news for, for, for Amazon. It's great news for Amazon shareholders. I think it's great news for the country. Um, so I, I think these are the moments you need to be looking at companies that certainly can be opportunistic in this environment. Um, there's no question. Uh, as you go down your, your, your wish list, there's a number of companies in there that are, oh boy, I didn't think I was going to see it here yet. Um, the credit story is something that's not going to give you uh, a clear picture in the next couple of days. Uh, and I think the policy response, while it's, it's, it's moved into overdrive in terms of the health dynamic, um, I think, you know, what we heard from G7 today, you know, who do you have really confidence in right now around the world when you look at uh, the policy leaders? And, and I think that's the big issue for the market.
Yeah, I mean, what we need is for a couple of days go by where all those graphs we're obsessed with now showing new cases start to roll over, right? I mean, when we start to see a rollover, and hopefully in Italy and in Spain and the United States, that may be the best part of the market. But I was focusing, in, Tim, on EA Sports and Activision Blizzard. Right. Those stocks down 14% in a week. I'm not advocating for the names. not my job. But all I hear about is everybody's going to be home needing something to do. These are sort of stay-at-home stocks. And, and by the way, electronic sports, eSports, may pick up some of our viewing coverage. Uh, I, look, why not? Um, certainly, uh, even before sports was scuttled, um, I think people were looking at sports and interactive gaming, interactive sports, uh, betting along with sports. This, this is uh, clearly a, a vertical that's extremely exciting. EA uh, actually has been somewhat challenged over the last 18 months as an investment. The valuation coming into this was, was actually reasonably compelling. Uh, we've talked about media companies who need to make an acquisition in this space. Many will. Um, and I do think that this is an exciting place to be. Look, online uh, uh, interactive gaming and esports are, 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 are here. It's not even a question of that. That is media. Um, and I think there's content around it that we'll probably see more. And that will come out of this as a secular trend that has been reasserted. About 30 seconds left in the show, Tim. What do you expect tomorrow? 1,500 point gain for the Dow? That would be a tough call. Um, I, I, I do think that right now uh, folks are focused on like, the, the margin calls and the levers that was in the system are, are what we saw today. Um, I don't think that that ends tomorrow. Um, I think we are wickedly oversold. And I do think people uh, talk to a lot of people today. I am picking over. It's, it's time to look at yeah. places to put money to work. All right. Like the ending on a little bit of an optimistic note, Tim, we need more of that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. Uh, by the way, today was the fifth trading day in a row where the S&P 500 swung by more than 4% either way. If it does it again tomorrow, either up or down more than 4%, it'll tie the record. Six trading days in a row set all the way back in November of 1929. That according to Ryan Detrick of LPL Financial. We'll see you tomorrow night. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.